If you're new to us, you might not understand what I'm about to say, but if you stay a while, you'll get it. You know, here at Bergen Park Church, we have people who have led others in areas of life and work in, in which I have no expertise, no reference at all. And probably that's a good thing. Let me explain. Some of you are very mechanical, and so you know how to work on cars. I know how to pray for my car, and that's about it. Uh, but, you know, you, your, your, exp- your expertise and your experience in, in certain areas, uh, whether it be entrepreneurial, uh, relational, uh, whether you're detail-oriented. For those of you who are airline pilots, I am so glad you're detail-oriented because you miss one of those in the sequence, and I'm dead, okay? So um, it's good that you remember, you know, number 57A is let down the, uh, the landing gear. Those things are very important. Others of you are mercy-oriented uh, instead of detail-oriented, and some are achievement-oriented. Uh, you become so good at what you do that others notice, and they, they ask you, in other words, you lead them in the field which you know a lot about. So here at Bergen Park Church, I've often used follow us because so many of us are so good at what we do. For you, 150 chiefs, it's not just that you have an opinion, but you have an educated opinion and an experienced uh, opinion. And so it's rare, as I mentioned, bring something up to some of you that you look at me and say, I don't have a clue of what you're talking about. Very rare. Now, almost all of you who are techies and you start talking to me in your techies, uh, you see my eyes glaze over and you use all these phrases. And I said, where did you learn your language? Well, you learned it from working, from your experience on it. And, and I tend to say that's not the language I want to learn. So I, I just want you to know that I'm about ready to say to you, I'm going to be asking you to think about serving in areas in which you have no background. And I'm going to be asking you to do it in our next, in this next help wanted message. And I want you to know that it may be something different that you've never done before. I'm asking that each of us would consider and pray about volunteering for things as helpers instead of leaders. Oh no, but I'm a leader. But you're also a helper. And I'm asking you to do it with joy. And, and the reason that you will help with joy is that you take Jesus. He wants Jesus-like leaders. You see, at a, at a very key point in the three-year ministry of Jesus, it's reaching the end. And he's, and he's taking his disciples uh, up to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. And on this journey that he's taken, it says his disciples are astonished. They're astonished that he's going. But it says many others who were following with, the, with those 12 were also afraid because they had this suspicion that things were not going to go well there. And it's at this point where Jesus' uh, ministry has never been so popular. The crowds have never been larger, but his opponents have never been more uh, threatened. And it seems like the people want to proclaim him as the next Messiah. By that, a political leader who would throw out the Romans. And in this, this great uh, circumstance of Jesus being so loved and so well known that, that if he would have run for president, he would have won in Israel. Since that they didn't have elections. So um, uh, it's in this place where he understands everybody knows who he is. That he lets out another one of his one-sentence zingers. 
And, 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 and it's so different. It, it is such a different message that in one sentence he redefines what it means to be a disciple. And his words continually prove to me and I hope to us this morning that Jesus is different than all the great late leaders of human history. He is different. So let's look at that one verse. And then we'll go backwards afterwards to look at the, the context of that verse. But he's, he says in Matthew chapter 10, 45, and he explains in just this one sentence, I'm very different. For he says, even the Son of Man himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, there's two words here that are very important. First of all, serve. Of these two words, serve is the first one that's mentioned. I want you to know that you and other people are always giving me uh, business books about leadership. I don't know why. I, I can't figure it out. But it seems like I'm constantly being barraged. Have you read this great book? And, and, and as I pick it up, often uh, the better books that sell are talk about a good leader is a good servant. And there's a few of them that even use Jesus as an example, but, but they'd much rather use Bill Gates or others as examples, okay? But then, once they say that, they spend the rest of the book talking about the importance of charisma, decision-making, strategic uh, direction-setting, strong accountability structures. Then they talk about bottom line and market share and product development and, and brand alignment. And they go on and I say, well, where's the servanthood there? Where's the servanthood there? You see... Kings and generals and, and political leaders, they may be very popular, they may be populous, uh, and, and they know how to grow a following around them. And Jesus was the same, except Jesus is not your normal leader. And if you follow and emulate him, he surprises you today just like he did his followers 2,000 years ago. Jesus talks about servanthood, and he does it. He raises the value of servanthood to all of his followers. And that's not what they were looking for. The second term that's used there is ransom. And he gives his life as a ransom for many. Uh, We don't use the term today in the same sense it was used then. Today, a ransom is like returning a kidnapped victim or a political prisoner, as we're seeing in the the, uh, Mideast all the time now. Uh, but the use in his day was about indented or indebted servitude. Uh, when, a, when a debt for a family got too large to pay, and, and, and the, uh, the holder of the debt said, you must pay or, or find some other alternative, one of the ways was a, for a family member, father or mother, uh, to give seven years of indentured servitude or slavery to the debt holder, and they would sort of work off that debt. Uh, another option would be, well, uh, I think that if I work real hard um, that and, and I find someone else to take on that debt, like my daughter or my son, uh, then, then when that seven years is up, then we'll be in a good place and I can bring my daughter or son back. Now, you, you might, as you think today... Who would sell their son or daughter into slavery? That's detestable. But come on, you've all thought of it. (laughs) One time or another, right? You've all said, oh man. And, And you've all joked about it. 
But it's illegal here. Not everywhere, but it's illegal here. And, 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 and so, you know, we might lose our, our minds in terms of the frustration of raising children, but we would never be serious. Well, uh, the way the debt is paid or the, the amount or, the, or, or, or what, what that, that uh, payoff is called is the ransom. To pay the debt means we live as slaves or we have the debt paid for us. Either we work it off or someone pays for it. And on our own, when we look at what Jesus was talking about, we can never pay the debt of our sin to God. No matter how good we try to become, we will always be in debt. We will never be able to repay uh, with our good works uh, to, to overcome uh, what we've done in terms of uh, sinning against God. So the way that Jesus serves both God and humanity is to be the ransom that pays our debt and restores our relationship with God because now we are debt-free because of Christ on the cross. So the one who pays the ransom is called the Redeemer. And this is seen in Ruth and it's seen in um, uh, uh, in uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It clearly states, uh, Jesus himself, that the fact that he calls himself the ransom, that this is proof of his identity and his purpose to come to earth. And coming to earth, he says, I'm not necessarily to be the leader, though he is a great leader in every human sense, but he is a servant too. And in his servitude to God and to humanity, he is God's ransom. Ransom is the one word that explains why he would die on his cross. His death was the ransom for our freedom. So is Jesus different? Absolutely. In every possible way that we can think of, Jesus' leadership style, Jesus' teaching style, what Jesus tells us to be is different. So you you look at who he is and you have to come to an understanding that he is different and we as humanity are pretty predictable. The things that motivate each of us are pretty much the same. We may look at somebody who um, who has taken a bribe and say, how could you ever do that? But please... We have been tempted and probably in one way or another taken money that really isn't ours at some time or another. We are very predictable. And so now we have to go back and look at how did this issue come up? How did, why did Jesus say these words? And uh, so in, in our predictability, understand that behind Jesus' statement of of a servant and a ransom, there's a very specific situation he wants us to be aware of. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He has told now his disciples three times, the Son of Man is going up to Jerusalem. There he will be betrayed. There he will be arrested. There he will be beaten. There he will be mocked. And there he will be crucified, and there he will rise on the third day. Three times. And I want you to know, the disciples were there. They heard it. They just weren't listening. They still don't get it. So on this journey, even though he's talking about what's about to happen to him, his disciples get into a little debate. And the debate is one, I don't know, 
women, if this ever happens to you, but guys, we do it all the time. Who's the greatest? This is not about Elway or, or, or other quarterbacks. It's about us. Who's the greatest? And, and so as they're walking and Jesus is saying, you know, okay, I'm going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. Uh, you know, I'm, and, and you're all going to desert me. And, and you're thinking about this instead. Thanks a lot. Um, so he knows what they're talking about. They're a little embarrassed. And so they should have dropped it, but instead James and John come up to him and they say, Jesus, we've got a request for you and we, just, just tell us right now you'll answer it because we know how much you love us. Just, just say you'll answer it. And Jesus is smart enough to say, what is it? Verse 37. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left hand in glory. The right side is for the prime minister, the left side is for the chief of staff. Let the two of us be the greatest. We'll share it. We'll be the greatest. But we would like that privilege. Well, they make the request, and assuming that, you know, assuming that when Jesus is going to, uh, to Jerusalem, what's going to happen is he's going to be crowned the king of Israel. And... They want to sit, each of them, on one side. That would make our mother so happy, you know. You know, here are her two sons, each in a position of authority. Now, it says in verse 41 that it goes on. It says, well, eventually the ten heard about this. Probably wasn't too long, 10, 20 seconds. Uh, And when they heard about this, they became indignant not just with James, well, at James and John. So all 12 are human. We are predictable. Uh, and when the 10 discover the, the special privilege that the two brothers are asking for, uh, they become enraged at them. I mean, what happened to the one for all and all for one, you know, uh, of the three musketeers? Aren't we in this together? Didn't, haven't we all said we don't care who gets the glory, who gets the credit? Haven't we all said we're here just to lift Jesus up, to, to make him the one uh, who all of Israel looks to. Haven't we said it really doesn't matter what position we take? Yes, you've all said it, but none of you meant it. <laughs> and so, uh, not only do they, uh, but we have the fate of Jesus wrong, but we are also involved with becoming enraged at his co-workers who are asking more for themselves than, than the others will get. So we are predictable, aren't we? And then it goes on. In, in verse 42, in this same sort of discussion, Jesus now sits them down and as he gets up to that, as he's working up to that final you know, uh, phrase of, uh, for the, even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, he begins to explain himself. Verse 42. He says, you know that those who regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and the, their high officials exercise authority over them. And then he says, beginning of verse 43, not so with you. Not so with you. Please understand that 
Jesus is speaking to all 12 and probably even a larger group around him. He's speaking very plainly and he's saying all humanity is predictable. Gentiles are predictable. Jews are predictable. Christians who say they're saved were all predictable. We all still have these same motives going on with us, inside of us. It's not that they're necessarily all wrong. There's nothing wrong with wanting authority and using it well. But Jesus says, this is something different when you're following me. For those of us who want authority, we can honestly say, we've worked hard to get it. We've given up other things to rise to this position. We look at our, uh, at our political system today, and, and you know what? We, we see that those who are involved in the campaigns, who were able to raise funds for a certain candidate, if that candidate gets elected, guess who gets Guess who gets the positions at the left and right side or the corner office or who, who does? And, and we look at that and we, friends, it's not only illegal, it's, ex, I mean, it's not only legal, it's expected. And most would say it's not unethical. It's repayment for a good deed done to you. So it's how the game works. It is expected. It is commonplace and it is legal. But that is not how the disciples are to operate. Jesus says, you're going to be like me. What are you going to be like? Verse 45. In smaller ways, you're going to be like me, and you will serve and you will give your lives. You will not be God's ransom. Jesus says, that's my job. It's not given to you. But you can be an example that points others to me. You will be different because I am different. And your lives will become less humanly predictable and more Jesus-like, more Jesus-different-like. About 20 years later, Paul is writing to Romans who were getting used to what it means to be following Christ and, 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 and not following the emperor. And, and so these Roman Christians, Paul sums it up in just what is three simple Greek words. And, and in, in, in the NIV, it says, love must be sincere. In other words, it, you're to love authentically. The actual words is, make sure your love is without hypocrisy. Make sure it is genuine. I have two times a year when this is tested. I probably have many others and I blow it, okay? But, but I have two a year in which, in which it's tested. And, and, and these are the ones that I'm going to share because I do okay. I'm not going to share the ones where I, I totally fail. I do okay in these two. The first is Halloween night, and, and the second is New Year's morning. On Halloween night, uh, we give away free coffee to the adults who are chaperoning their children uh, up at King Super so they can collect uh, copious amounts of, of sugar candy. And so what we emphasize to the parents who are walking by is, would you like a free cup of coffee? Kids get sugar, you get caffeine, it all works well. <laughs> but we don't emphasize Bergen Park Church. I love that night, and several people who work with me on that night say, Jim, for just an hour or so, you become like a carnival barker. Hurry, 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 get your free coffee over here. And, 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 and several times people say, well, I'd like to make a donation. And we go, please don't. Not that we're superior, but just please don't. And one of the reasons, um, one, one time I blurted out to somebody, well, why can't I give a donation? Because it would rob my joy of serving you. 
Yeah. And, and I never said that again because I said, oh, that's way too spiritual uh, for that crowd at that night. But we, we're not fundraising. We're not advertising ourselves. We're not giving out tracts. We're just giving out free coffee. Some want to pay us. And we say, please don't. This is our gift to you tonight. When's the last time something, somebody offered you something for free? It's only a, you know, 30 cent cup of coffee, but, I'm sorry, $2.50 cup of coffee. <clears throat> Times change, but, 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 but it really is just what we want to do for you. And one or two, every, every Halloween night say, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And I said, Think of the things that you get in life that are free. Um, Not many. You earn them. You work hard for them. It is our joy to give you something for nothing. Uh, New Year's morning, about 20 to 30 of us gather right here, and we go up and serve breakfast at, at the village behind us. And we didn't allow anybody living in the village to be part of this team. You have to be served that morning. Uh, <clears throat> so, you know, there's 20 or 30 of us. We go up there. We cook. When we, when we do all the math, it costs us between 200 and $250 to do it. Uh, that, that's cheap to serve 100 people. Uh, more than that, when we, when we do the math and said, if you were paying each one of these volunteers... Babysitter's wages, which may be higher than some of your wages, adults. Uh, but if you were paying them babysitter's wages, it would be two to three thousand dollars. But they they volunteer, and as they volunteer, I, I, they and I together, we have so much joy in just helping people for nothing. Even those who are suspicious of us and those who are grumpy. And they're there up there and they're there over at King Supers. You know, why are you doing this really? You know, I can see the suspicion on them. But we're caught up in a moment of living within the purpose and the identity of Jesus Christ himself. We are living as God has designed it to be. And I'm only doing it in a small way for a short period of time, in a very expensive way, and in a mildly inconvenient way. But I have joy in doing it. Do you? Doing something to help people where you get nothing in return. There's a picture here I want you to see. This is Jason Brown. Uh, Jason Brown is about 320 pounds when he played for the L.A. Rams playing center between the years of 2009 and 2011. In 2005, he was drafted in the fourth round for the NFL. There's not usually a great future for those in the fourth round. But, but he worked hard, and uh, he went from one team to a second team and finally to a third team, the St. Louis Rams. And he started every game from 2009 to 2011. And so they offered him the L.A. Rams... Uh, excuse me... <laughs> St. Louis Rams, I'm from Los Angeles, they never moved. Um, They offered him a five-year contract for $37.5 million. That's $7.5 million a year. Um, You know, I don't even weigh 200 pounds, but I'd give it a try for $7.5 million. Uh, And so Jason Brown gets this great offer, and he turns them down. 
Then, you know, he's left the team and three other teams say, oh, that probably wasn't enough. We'll offer you more. And he turns them down. What does Jason Brown do as he retires early? Now, understand that Jason Brown, with that five-year contract and the longevity and the experience he had, there's not that many centers in the NFL Hall of Fame, and he might have been one. Because after that five years, he might have had two or three years left. And being paid that much, he must be good. But he cuts his career short by five years, He buys a farm in North Carolina, uh, a 1,000-acre farm in North Carolina, and he's never farmed before. So he must be, um, well, and the way he learns to farm is he goes onto YouTube. i got to try that. (laughs) I've really got to try that sometime, you know? And so he goes onto YouTube, and then he buys all this equipment, and he's doing all these wonderful things. And, 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 um, And before he leaves... His, his manager looks at him and says, you're making the biggest mistake of your life, financially. The farm is up and running, and in the year 2014, the year that just passed, he donated 10,000 pounds of cucumbers and 100,000 pounds of sweet potato to local food banks. And he calls his ministry First Fruits, and he has gathered to help him and keep the cost low, 600 volunteers. As the highest paid center in the NFL, think of what was before him. But he has an interview with CBS, you know, 60 Minutes or something like that. And, and, and he's asked a question, and how could you give up, you know, this glory and this greatness? His answer was, when I think of a life of greatness, I think of a life of service. And he's a follower of Jesus Christ. He'd have to be or he'd be insane. If he would have been alive in the days of Jesus, I think Jesus would have considered a trade for Peter. I'm serious. <clears throat> but he wasn't. So um, so Jason Brown would have been great on a disciple because I think he would have got it earlier. Isn't this a great example of someone who says, I, I've heard what Jesus is saying and I'm making a very deep, in-depth commitment. And, and, and you're looking at him behind a tractor and, and understand how did he choose North Carolina? More people are underfed in North Carolina in that section than any other state any other section of any other state. That's how he chose it. I got to meet this guy. When we place our trust in Jesus, I want you to know, as has happened to Jason Brown, uh, he changes us. He promises to change us. He, he changes us. But then we find ourselves growing into that change. Uh, Wearing that change into who we really are in Christ through his spirit who empowers us, through his word which teaches us, through his people who are examples to us. And we learn about our faith and we associate with people who share our faith and then we practice our faith. And servanthood is a means of practicing your faith. Serving Jesus as we serve others is one of the practices of being different just like Jesus is different because that is the identity he uses as his title and that's the practice that he continually showed as our Lord. 
Would you like to be different as Jesus is different? Would you like to have that? Then let me just share three things that are going to happen to you. First of all, you've got to get a new label in your life. It's something that describes you differently than, than you've been described before. Uh, another one that, that sort of connects you to Jesus. And, and, and if Jesus calls himself God's servant and he does it with joy, how do you feel about this label on your life? A servant of the living God. There's your name. And as you identify yourself, what's that label? A servant of the living God. Now, you have to be careful where you say it because you say it in the wrong places and people will think you're weird. And they will think you, you are weird because by human nature, you are weird. Accept that. You are weird. But I want to suggest that you take that label as your new identity. A servant of the living God and like Jason Brown, make your greatness visible more in your service. I was watching an ad last night on television about this uh, new uh, game, which I guess you download as an app on your telephone. And afterwards, one of you can explain that to me. But you, you download it, a, a game of war, and it says, um, the empire you build will be how you'll be remembered. There's this beautiful girl in this white dress saying that to these grisly old men. You know, get with it. Get building now. And it's a great game. I'd love to play it. That's not how I'm going to be remembered. That's not how you'll be remembered. There is a memory of you that goes beyond your life. And that is the investing in servanthood that you'll do in the lives of others. Next, be involved in new activities. A new label, if you want to be different, a new activity... Try serving in ways in which you are inexperienced and maybe even you dislike. (laughs) Serve with no experience, no guidebook, maybe even no YouTube videos. Let others let you be the Indian instead of the chief. And when you do, I'd love to hear how God uses it in your life. I'd love to hear it. The third thing is you need a new attitude. You see... It's not real service if you do it unwillingly. Service and being a servant is sort of like giving. God loves a cheerful giver. He takes the money from the grumpy, but he loves the cheerful giver. He really loves the cheerful giver. And and he blesses them. Well, he loves joyful servants. This is said of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 too. You know, we're told to fix our eyes on him who endured the cross, sharing its shame with joy. How do you do that? You've got to label yourself as a servant. He loves the joyful servants who for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Well, here's your help wanted assignment for this week. And again, each time I'm asking you to talk to God, not me, okay? You can talk to me too, but first talk to God. Ask God to show you one opportunity to serve and and not to lead in our moving, our opening, and our settling process that you can do just for the joy of serving. Your help-wanted assignment, I want you to consider to volunteer just for the fun of it. And understand 
This is what Jesus was talking about. Not so with you. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for the many. Let's pray. Almighty God, Jesus is different. I think that's why around the world, so many people who've tried political systems, uh, uh, ways to associate with other people, uh, they've looked into different religions and, and forms of spirituality. It's all getting back to Jesus is different. And in his difference, in his uniqueness, they find him to be the son of God. Who else could he be? I pray for those who are considering Jesus. Lord, may may they gaze upon how different he approaches life because he's in a right relationship with you, a perfect relationship with you. And may they be eager, hungry, salivating for that relationship for themselves. And Lord, we admit, one of the ways we grow is not just how many classes we're in, how much or how long is our quiet time becoming, but by doing things. By doing things. I pray. I pray that if, not at Bergen Park Church, not in the move, but sometimes when we're asked to do something, even though we know we're not good at it or maybe... Maybe we don't even want to do it much. We do it for the joy, for the fun of it. And I ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen.